0: Welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest returning to the show today is Dr. Mel Pohl. He's the chief medical officer of the Las Vegas Recovery Center and a driving force between that institution's chronic pain recovery program. He's also the author of A Day Without Pain and The Pain Antidote. Today, he continues his discussion about addiction and chronic pain. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Tom. Mel, welcome back to the show. We had a wonderful interview this last half hour or so, and I'm anxious to find out what you actually do. So we talked about the nature of addiction, and Mel is the Medical Director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center. And uh, Mel, welcome back, and I would like to talk about this podcast is just about your approach, how it evolved, how it might be different than some other centers, what your success rate is, what you think makes it different? Yeah.
2: Um, It's a really good question. I I mean, like many of us, I think we uh, backed into our our, uh, avocation. Uh, I I talked at the last podcast about the fact that so many of our opioid-dependent patients had pain, that I got interested in, what can we do for the pain? And we just pulled our management team together at the center. We're small, we're 40 beds, inpatient, and then we have some outpatient services as well, and said, what can we do? And uh, I, I had a friend who was a physical therapist, and I went and talked to him, and talked about what he might do physically for the patient. And another person had an acupuncturist, so we engaged her, and uh, she also was a yoga instructor. and we had a Reiki master who, uh, you know, I, I had had treatment with, and it was like so incredibly powerful that I thought, let's let's try that. And, you know, we, we pulled this team together, not, you know, we didn't study the science of what everything does and how effective it is. It was just, what can we do that will help reduce pain? And then, you know, the journey for me, as similar to you, I think, was, wow, this is really not only a about physical pain. In fact, physical pain, the physical, physical tissue is about 20% of the overall problem. And what right. we're really dealing with is the emotions and the thoughts that are behind the emotions uh, involved with pain. That was a revelation to me. It's still a challenge working with patients. I mean, I remember the first time I, I did a group uh, with patients and I asked them to describe chronic pain and I wrote what they said on the board. And I've done the same exercise probably a hundred times with professional audiences and families and, and actual patients. And they start out slow and they say uh, anxious and angry and fearful and disabled and uh, overusing drugs and impotent and you know depressed and suicidal. And you know the, the, the words start pouring out and the board fills up with words and none of them have anything to do with tissue none of them have anything to do with the quality of the pain or the location of the pain. Right. And I just let them sit with that. And then I ask them to, to reflect on what's on the board. And, you know, the word that, that has come, that has evolved is suffering, you know, the, the emotional response to the physical discomfort and right. that most of what everybody talks about when they think about chronic pain is that, Right, and, you know, that demonstration really is very impactful for patients, I find. It's, the, it's one of the first steps in really helping people move because, you know, there was one patient in the group when I, my, my sort of, the words that I use are, it's emotions and thoughts drive the experience of chronic pain. And she said, are you telling me my pain is in my head? And I said, well, you have chronic headaches. So where else is your pain? <laughs> right. But the implication was that it was in somehow un, not real. So the, the first
1: premise that I teach is that all pain is real. Right. Well, I mean, pain is always interpreted by the brain. You're taking sensory input and your brain says pain or no pain. And then I agree with you that the mental pain is a disaster. People cannot escape through thoughts. Which even worse is we don't like mental pain, so we repress it. That's right. Repressed emotions are even more dangerous than expressed emotions. So either way, you're screwed. Yeah, and it's you know, the Buddhists would call it aversion. You know, I want to get away from it. I
2: want to right I want, I want to take it away. I want it not to be so. And yes, the, the more you resist,
1: it persists. You know? Right, right. So as far as your approach, what's your uh, what? Okay, Sam, so you're a patient who's been in chronic pain for ten years. I, I'm now coming off narcotics, and I don't want to live in pain. I understand that. I understand that the opioid addiction is a little different than the chronic pain. You mentioned that one of the biggest problems is you had people come off their opioids successfully, but they still had the pain. So how do you start off, and what's your general approach now as far as approaching chronic pain? So our, our first step is detoxification.
2: So okay. you take a look at the, the array of medications that people are on, typically it's one or two opioids, uh, often a sleeping pill that's habit-forming, like Ambien or... Uh, or, or an anti-anxiety drug like Valium or Clonopin or Xanax. And we have a detox protocol that's individualized for each patient that sort of medicates them to help them remove the, uh, the addicting substances. Okay, and they're able to come off those drugs even with the pain? Yeah, within seven to 10 days, they're off the, the drugs. It's, it could okay. be usually seven to 10 days. It's very variable. Uh, depending on which drug they came in on. Heroin's much shorter acting than fentanyl, for example, we talked about last show, which is very, even prescription fentanyl is extremely long acting. So, uh, and or methadone is very long acting. So, it, you know, it might take 10 or, or 12 days, but at the end of that period, right. they're off their opioids, they're off their benzos, they're off their hap- habituating medicines. Um, and do patients fight that idea of coming off medications? Uh, some vigorously, yes. Okay. And, and often, you know, they, they know they're coming in to get off their opioids, but they're not so happy about getting off their Xanax. Um, right. And we're purists in the fact that we insist that everything has to go. And, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time, you, you know, you asked about my approach. I mean, the first step in the approach is sitting down. You know, this is your skill set too. Sitting down and listening to the story that the patient has to tell. Right. And usually it's filled with chronic misunderstanding, distrust, uh, false steps, you know, accusations. And we don't do any of that. You know, we 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 love this patient from the moment they walk into the door. Right. And we have no judgment about their misbehavior or, uh, you know, the, the awful things that they've done in the process of their addiction we are simply interested in their well-being, And then right. we, you know, once they begin to trust us, we can tell them that it, it seems counterintuitive that we're gonna take you off your opioids and your pain's gonna get better. However, if you're like 95% of our patients, that's what's gonna to happen to you. Right. One of the things that happens in our center that is probably as powerful as anything is that there are other patients around who've, who are like two or three weeks ahead of the patient who's just entered Okay. So you're sitting in a group with three or four or six or 10 people who say, I thought he was full of crap too, but I'm power walking on the track and I have a level two pain and I came in at a 10 with a walker. Wow. Argue with that. So it's that power of the the other patients uh, in the group process that is, it's really very, very
1: stimulating. Yeah, no, I agree. I think people heal each other i think that's a big part of the process also yeah. so they um commit narcotics and author narcotics what is some of the you know i talked about the expressive writing a little bit which has been documented in over a thousand research papers to be effective yeah. and you've been using the expressive writing for a while right wow yeah for years i mean i learned it from you
2: uh
1: and uh it, it
2: it's so look it, expressive writing is just basically as you know just Take a piece of paper and writing without even looking at what you're writing, not reading it as you're doing it, and at the very end of the page, you tear it up so you never read it. So right. it's sort of what as I describe it, it, it sort of dumps what's in here onto the page and then out of your out of your space, if you will. Right. Uh, we uh, have every pain group, which are three or four groups a week specific to pain, start with an expressive writing exercise. Right. So get to write a couple, three pages. And then we assign them to do that three or four times a day. Okay. As we talked about, so few people do it on a regular basis on their own that it's very
1: discouraging to me. Right. Why, why do you think, I mean, I, I observe the same thing. I mean, it could not be a simpler exercise. Personally, as you know, with my story, I was in chronic pain for 15 years. The one thing that broke me out of my chronic pain was expressive writing. If I quit doing my expressive writing, within about two weeks, my symptoms come back. Why, why do you think there's so much resistance to some, such a simple exercise? You know, I, I, I,
2: there's a couple of things that come to mind. I mean, one is, uh, and this is one of the things that comes up in our clinical protocols, is that when a patient is resistant to either doing the, the, the treatment as prescribed or isn't getting better, you know, is having high, high, high pain scores, I usually will sit with them and assign an exercise that says, why am I holding on to my pain? Right. They get real mad about that. They get, uh, you know, like, what are you talking about? Uh, And, you know, I explain secondary gain, which is, it's not like you're uh, intentionally doing this, but there are a lot of reasons that end up coming up why I hold on. And I I believe that secondary gain and, and the attachment to the pain, if you will, is one of the things
1: that keeps me from doing the things that are good for me. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to make more of a provocative statement than that. I mean, I think pain is extremely powerful, and most people don't ever want to give up the power of pain. They just don't. Yeah. And then I think you heard Dr. Porges say the other day that I didn't realize this, that we're on a work group that he uses, what's called a bagel stimulator, which actually calms down the nervous system. And what happens when you give up that sympathetic charge, we feel powerful, which, by the way, has some dopamine in it. Yes. Then you feel vulnerable, And a lot of people just can't handle being vulnerable. Is that a fair statement? That is such a fair statement. And I'll tell you one other thing, 80% of the patients that are in our pain
2: program have significant life trauma. Right. right? So they've got a nervous system that's not only activated, but it's hyperactivated from, and the kinds of trauma could be sexual molestation. It could be physical trauma. We see veterans who've actually been exposed to horrific experiences and we see medical trauma people who go in for their surgery and then their surgery to fix the surgery and then somebody cuts the ureter and now they're in the ICU on antibiotics for a month right a traumatic experience so all of that contributes and you know there's some science to, behind what trauma does to the central nervous system's Correct. Right. so we have this hyperactivated nervous system that has been somewhat moderated by the drugs Right, If the drug's away, they're, they're off the charts. Uh, so I, I agree
1: with that. Well, you said something earlier that caught my attention is that I think the essence of solving chronic pain is feeling safe because it optimizes your body's chemistry, mm-hmm. your organs function better, your nerve conductions improve, improve, the pain actually drops down dramatically, the inflammation drops down. It's a dramatic response. So you pointed out how one of the first things you do is actually talk to the patient. Yeah,
2: and they feel safe. You know, David, it's interesting. I, sometimes, you know, when I was on site, a patient would be in distress I had a guy who was just like screaming, you know, 10 out of 10 pain, 15 out of 10 pain. I, I, I'm checking myself out. He had back disease, you know, typical three or four surgeries. He had workers comp that referred him to treatment. He wasn't real wild about it. He didn't identify as an addict. He just took his pills as prescribed, but he was on, you know, 300 milligram morphine equivalents a day. And he came into my office just like that. And he said, "I'm check me out. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do that. But could we talk a little bit about what's going on? You know, it's the worst pain I've ever had. I, uh, you know, I, I did that yoga. It's, you know, I, I don't belong here. And I said, okay, well, so could you just, while we're sitting here, could you just do one thing for me? He said, yeah. I said, can you unclench your fist? And he he hadn't noticed, of course, that his fist was clenched. And he unclenched his fist. And then I said, can you just take a deep breath? And we did seven deep breaths in the course of minutes. And his pain went from a 10 to a three. So he, you know, he, 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 he he didn't know what to do. You know, he was sort of lost. And I... I said, so, you know, what do you think about that? He said, well, it doesn't matter. It's going to come right back. And I said, well, good news. You have another breath right behind this one. <laughs> you know, and it's those kinds of lessons that really, I think, are impactful for the patient.
1: Did, did he stick with the program? Oh, he did. Oh, good. I mean, the, what, what I now know, I mean, I've learned this since the last few months with this roundtable, but I mean, what those deep breaths do, they actually stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, to counteract the sympathetic charge. And so all these things like mindfulness meditation, acupuncture, I had to admit as a surgeon, I was pretty cynical about, is now the essence of healing because you're changing your body's chemistry dramatically.
2: You know, in our, in my clinical experience, some of these things work for some people some of the time. And I have a a bit of ambivalence about anything that somebody else has to do to the patient. I mean, you know, we've talked about, we did some, we are doing a scale of self-efficacy. So, you know, the patient's perception of what they can do for their pain and how they can function in their life. And the higher the self-efficacy score, the better the outcome. And what happens right. is people come in with a very low self-efficacy. And over the course of the program, their s- self-efficacy score goes up substantially.
1: Right. Uh,
2: so my ambivalence is uh, getting acupuncture is not really s- self effective. I mean, you can do acupressure on your right, parents, but if you have to go to an acupuncturist or go to a massage, so it's all about, you know, good physical therapy, as you believe, I think, as well as teaching the patient how to do what they right. do to, to improve their, their
1: condition. Um, well, it's interesting you said that because I mean, when I named my book Back of Control, I actually wasn't understanding that how powerful control is. Mm-hmm. So by definition, to feel safe, you have to have control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because if you don't have control, you're totally at the mercy of the elements and you have no control, you feel incredibly unsafe. And by understanding the tools and mechanisms that come down your body, so for instance, the gentleman you just talked about who who with just deep breathing can parasympathetic nervous system, he has more control. It's it's not so hard in a way. And that's where I think medicine is really missing because we're always doing things to people. We're not teaching them to take care of themselves very much.
2: Yeah. I, I concur. I mean, I, you know, it's my, it's my, my soapbox, uh, right. is that, uh, you know, in, empowering the patient and, you know, uh, doing it with a, a modicum of optimism. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I mean, attitude about uh, potential efficacy in our patients is usually lacking when they get there and, you know, because they're greeted with this cadre of other patients doing well and a staff that's really so committed to reinforcing people's sense of, of, uh, of well-being that uh, we see significant improvement over time.
1: So I, I realize there's many different effective approaches around the country for chronic pain and for addiction. I mean, each one of them has their own style. But what are the things that you think are unique about your program that seems to be successful? Yeah. I, we pay
2: as much attention to the pain as we do to addiction in a patient. Okay. We call it a co-occurring condition. So you have addiction or or substance dependence that needs treatment and okay. then you have pain that needs treatment. And if you typically go to most addiction centers, they don't have the experience and expertise in pain. They don't have the staff that's really geared towards spending the time in the ways that we've been talking about. So, uh, it, and, and so then everything's addiction. You know, I have pain. It, it, we don't want to talk about the pain. Tell us about your addiction. Well, really? Take the drugs because of my pain. If you're not able to get that message across and get some identification with others around that issue, then then you're separate. And, and part of the process of addiction, part of the pathology of addiction is separation, separation from others.
1: Wow. I mean, that's interesting because I always assumed that I mean, the data shows that 87% of people with opioid addictions have chronic pain. Yeah. Right. And so I had no idea. I didn't realize that people went to addiction treatment centers to deal with just the addiction, but not the pain. That's shocking to me. It's, it's,
2: it's hard to treat chronic pain. You know, the resources that we have are relatively expensive for us to provide. Right. Insurance companies look, it's such a challenge because, they say, well, no, you're an addiction treatment program, pain right. is the medical side. So we're not going to pay for the pain program. We're just going to pay for the addiction services. So right. we have to figure out how to provide, and we do. We, you know, we let we we send people to groups for their pain if pain is a, is an issue, but it, you know they don't really get the benefit, the full benefit of the whole program because right. that's covered.
1: Uh, which is, right. you know, it's just foolish. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky, tricky thing. There's some data out of Boston that shows that only 20% of physicians are comfortable treating chronic pain, and less than 1% enjoy it. Yeah. And of course, if you don't enjoy your patients, your patients sense that, which makes the patient agitated, which makes the pain worse.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, no, and no, I, I didn't know that. I was just thinking, do I really enjoy this work? I mean, uh-huh. I love this work. It's, it's, it's my passion. But right. It's really hard work. I mean, sitting with somebody right. because of the empathetic response of the brain—you know, the, right. the the mirror neurons—I I feel their pain. Right. So exactly, it, it is a it is a challenging, tough, draining process, but it's also so gratifying to sit with somebody. i I had a guy who came in and just told his story. You know, he was in a lot of pain and he was really miserable and he just and I just sort of just listened. I didn't even like prompt him. And right. at the end of 20 minutes, he said, oh, God, doc, I feel
1: so much better. Right. No, it's absolutely, again, they feel safe, right? It makes a huge difference. Yeah. So do you have any um, just general comments for a person that's on opioids and in chronic pain, or just some general um, advice as far as getting them started on this healing journey? Uh, the first thing
2: I would say is uh, look at the possibility that the opioids are making you worse. Okay. The third principle of my treatment program is that opioids often make chronic pain worse. Right. If you believe that that's possible, then start seeking out methods to either diminish or optimally eliminate the opioids from your life. Now, that's a daunting task. You know, it's, don't do it tomorrow. Don't just stop them. But right you know, talk to the prescribing physician or find somebody who has some expertise in helping patients get off their opioids, because over the course of time, it will benefit you, in my opinion. Right. Um, But the other is to explore some of these mind-body clinical techniques, either with a therapist, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is is one of the really fundamental ways to deal with the thoughts around the pain, Uh, the, the cognitive distortions, we call them. And, and learn how to meditate. I mean, my gosh, uh, you know, like expressive writing, meditating is, is free and available and, you know, maybe right. you get an app to, to guide you along the way. Headspace or Calm is another one. But just spending time with
1: non-judgment in the moment changes pain. No, absolutely. So oh, Cool. Well, Mel, thanks again. Um, so you take Patients in from all over the country, I'm assuming, correct? Yes. Sir. So how, how do we access your services and the, the books and et cetera? Las is the website.
2: Um, the phone number is 702-515-1374. And you can contact an admissions person or go on the website. And a lot of this information is is presented there. And the couple of books are A Day Without Pain and The Pain Antidote, both of which are available on Amazon.
1: So. Great. Well, thank you very much. Um, This was as enjoyable as I thought it would be. And I appreciate you being on the show. You do it all day. Thanks. Thanks. All right.
0: I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Mel Pohl, for being on the program today and for sharing the details of his approach to the treatment of addiction and chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to return next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.